I was listening to a radio program on CBC Radio, and they were interviewing a child expert from the IWK hospital. And he was talking about how to discipline your children and that type of thing. And then they did a call-in portion of the show. And so people could phone in with their questions. And then one woman asked this question. She said, how can I get my children to say please and thank you? And then the expert said, well, do they hear you and their father say please and thank you? And there was silence on the other end of the line. And so we realized, okay, they're not hearing mom and dad, so they're not going to be thankful. They're not going to show gratitude. G.K. Chesterton called gratitude the mother of all virtues. And one of the most significant changes that Jesus Christ wants to make in our personality is to make us people who are eternally grateful. I like the 30th Psalm, verses 11 and 12, and I'm using the voice translation, so it may seem a little strange to you. You did it. You turned my deepest pains into joyful dancing. You stripped off my dark clothing and covered me with joyful light. You have restored my honor. My heart is ready to explode, erupt in new songs. It's impossible to keep quiet. Eternal one, my God, my life giver, I will thank you forever. So instead of constantly grumbling about our circumstances, God wants us to radiate with thanksgiving. Instead of silently grumbling about God's goodness and taking it for granted, he wants us to explode with gratitude. So gratitude is one of the most important personal traits for the Christian. And that's for two reasons. Because first of all, gratitude pleases God. And when we do something nice for a person, we're not looking for them to say thank you. We're not looking for them to do something nice in return. Maybe send us a card or an email. But when they do that, it is so nice. It, it feels so good to get that expression of gratitude. So in Hebrews 12, verses 28, So let us be thankful, because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We should worship God in a way that pleases him with respect and fear. So let's please God by serving him with thankful hearts and with awe and with holy reverence. Now gratitude is also important because it's the key to personal happiness. So if I was to ask you how happy you are right now, you would base that on the circumstances in your life. You would base it on how things are going in your life right now because there might be some things that are dragging you down a little bit. So we think happiness is related to what is happening to us, but it's more determined by attitude than it is by circumstances. In 24 hours, I could make you exuberantly happy with exactly what you have in life right now, but it would be a horrible 24 hours. I could have a lawyer call you and tell you that you are being sued, and it looks like this lawsuit is going to take all the money that you have. And then I'd have your doctor call you, and the doctor would say, I looked over those x-rays again, and it looks to me like you have terminal cancer. Then a close friend that you trust would call and say, four of your closest family members have just been killed in a car accident. 
And then I would have a pastor that you trust call and say, I can prove that the Bible is a hoax. I no longer believe in eternal life. And after 24 hours of those devastating things just pounding you, I'd go to visit you, and I would tell you that none of these things were true. And after you get over the shock, and maybe you hit me, and you'd be ecstatic because of where you are right now. So as we study this section of Luke, let's pray that God will transform us into grateful people. So today we're in chapter 17, and we're starting with verse 11. While Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was going through the area between Samaria and Galilee. And as he came into a small town, ten men who had a skin disease, which is leprosy, met him there. And they did not come close to Jesus, but called to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw the men, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as the ten men were going, they were healed. Now, leprosy was a dreadful and terminal disease. And people's ears, their eyes, actually not their eyes, but their nose could fall off. There would be open sores on the body. And as soon as a sore appeared on their body, they had to go into quarantine. Now, this wasn't like when we were diagnosed with COVID-19 and had to quarantine for seven or eight days. Most of these people ended up in quarantine for the rest of their lives. And Jesus Christ, the healer, represented their only hope of returning to normal. So they called out for him to come near to them, which was the opposite of what they would normally yell. They would normally yell, unclean, unclean, letting other people know, stay away from us so you don't catch this horrible disease. So Jesus came to them and he did heal them. And a part of the healing was a request for some act of obedience on the part of the ones being healed. Now back in another account, Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, and he healed him, he said, pick up your mat and walk. To the blind man, he said, wash your blind eyes in the pool of Siloam. So to these ten men, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And when they responded in obedience, they were healed. So their obedience was a testimony of their faith, and it was actually a channel of God's healing power. Now these guys, they're squealing with delight, their tears are flowing, they're jubilant over this change that has taken place in their lives. And then we pick up in verse 15. When one of them saw that he was healed, he went back to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice. Then he bowed down at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this man was a Samaritan. Now you may be aware that in Bible times, the Samaritans were a despised race of people because there were Jews who had intermarried with pagans, and that's where this race came from. So this man had grown up experiencing racial slights and suggestions of inferiority, but he was the only one that came and threw himself down at Jesus' feet and worshipped him, and now... We're wondering, like, where were all the others? So Jesus said in verse 17, weren't 10 men healed? But where are the other nine? And I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to go back 
and do an interview, a, a man on the street interview, as they're sometimes called, with those other nine men and ask them why they didn't come back and thank Jesus. And possible answers might be, I did what he said. He said, go and show myself to the priests. And I did that. Or another one might say, I've had leprosy for 20 years and I've not been able to have contact with my family that whole time. So I went to see them. Another one might say, I didn't know he expected me to go back. Doesn't he get paid for doing this? And then one guy might say, well, I'm not really sure Jesus healed me. I've been buying these herbs off Amazon for the last 10 years, and maybe it's just a coincidence that these herbs healed me at the time Jesus said he would do it. Another guy might have said, I'm not really pleased with the way I look. I've had leprosy for 10 years, and I thought Jesus in healing me would make me look younger, but I don't look any younger. And then Another one might say, I can't rejoice because there are so many people that still have this horrible disease. One guy might have said, I was going to go back and thank him, but I had so many requests for interviews with talk shows and radio interviews. I had no time to go back and thank the man. And then maybe one of them said, I was afraid to go back because I was thinking he might ask too much of me, like selling everything I own. Ask school teachers how many come back and thank them after graduation. Ask doctors and nurses after they perform the surgery. How many notes do you get from those patients afterwards? How many express appreciation for what you do around here? And I hope you get that from us. And then mothers, do you hear appreciation? Do you hear, thank you for that clean drawer full of underwear? Or do you just get nothing from your kids? And ask God this, how many come back and thank you for the prayers that you answer instead of just going on and assuming this is what you normally do? So why are most of us not very grateful people in this era of abundance? First of all, it's because of a privileged upbringing. Like some of us were spoiled rotten as kids. It might have been our parents. It might have been our grandparents. And, and, and we do spoil our grandchildren a little bit. But then you've kind of grown up getting everything you wanted or almost everything that you wanted. So now you have these unrealistic expectations. Thus, when we talk about any pain or disappointment in your life, you think, wait now, I should be free of all of that. Everything should be 100% perfect. And if it isn't, then you feel like you're cheated and you focus on the negative. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in this world. The world is contaminated by sin and it's never going to be perfect. So if you have these unrealistic expectations, then they're not going to be met. So get over it because you'll never be grateful to God if you hold on to them. Now, some of us are ungrateful because of affluence. Generally speaking, the more we have, the less grateful we are. And we think it should be the other way around. The more we have, the more grateful we should be. But the opposite ends up being true. Because our standard of satisfaction ends up here, and if we're only getting this, then we're, we're not happy. We're not grateful. If you have been, like people have told me about the beaches in Hawaii, so if you have been there 
and then you come back and you go to the beach out here at Kearney Lake, it's just not going to be the same. If you've eaten at a really nice restaurant, then going to a fast food joint just isn't going to be the same. So we have these higher standards. And if you have cheered for a sports team that won the championship, and the next year they're in 10th place, it's just not going to thrill you anymore. So get this, it's a rare person who, when their cup continually overflows, doesn't complain because they don't have a bigger cup to catch everything that is coming into it. And then some of us are ungrateful because of negative comments. The 13th uh, chapter of Proverbs. One who walks with the wise becomes wise, but whoever keeps company with fools only hurts himself. So if your closest associates are grateful people, then you are very liable to be a, a grateful person yourself, an appreciative person. But if you hang around negative and critical complainers, you'll soon emulate them. And so the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. So no matter how fulfilling your job, no matter how spacious your house, no matter how personable your spouse, or no matter how bright your children, if you associate with people that are always picking away, then you are going to become a complainer. I had a little incident with the man downstairs after the first service, and he gave me four complaints, and then he stopped. He said, whoops, I didn't listen to your message today, and he backtracked on all of those. Now, some of us are also ungrateful because of comparisons. Remember the parable of the vineyard that Jesus told? And the workers that were hired at 6 o'clock in the morning, they were so glad to receive the pay that they did. But then they started to find out that workers who were hired at noon and workers that were hired at 3 in the afternoon and workers that were hired for the last hour from 5 to 6 all received the same pay. So all of a sudden, wait now, this isn't fair here. I've been ripped off in this situation. So they become unhappy and they complain about the unfairness of it all. So if you're always comparing your circumstances to those who have it better, then you're going to be a thankless, miserable person because no matter how good you've got it, there's always going to be someone that has it better or appears to have it better. I read about one couple who confessed that they often compared their son to his best friend. And his friend was studious. He was destined for success in academics while their son was a little frivolous and, and they were afraid of how far he might go that way. And they said, why can't our son be more like his friend? Well, then one day they met the parents of this friend and they said, oh, your son is so good for our son. We love having him around here because we're kind of concerned concerned about our son, that he's too serious. And your son, he's so personable, and he meets people so well. We're hoping that he rubs off on our son because we're afraid that our son's just a little too serious. So here was a situation where they were thinking, our son, he needs some help. And this other family were thinking, your son's wonderful. He's having a good influence on our son. So... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul warns us, we dare not compare 
we dare not to compare ourselves with those who think they are very important. They use themselves to measure themselves, and they judge themselves by what they themselves are. This shows that they know nothing. So we don't compare ourselves with anyone else. We just look at Jesus Christ and follow his measure. So how can we become more grateful people? How can we be more like that one man that came back and took the time to please God and appreciate what he had done for him? So how can we be like that and then appreciate God for the way that our lives are right now? I'd like to encourage you to actually do several spiritual exercises that would actually enable Christ to transform our personalities into grateful people. First of all, we have to acknowledge that everything you have is God's. It's not yours. So the psalmist reminds us of this. He said, the earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its people. So nothing you have right now is yours. You are renting it or leasing it or you have it on loan or anything that we want to use, but it's just temporarily. And the Bible says that you brought nothing into this world and you won't take anything out of this world. Now, when I was on PEI performing that wedding last weekend, I took some of my hockey cards with me, hockey cards that I collected as a kid, but they're really popular right now and building in value. And there's, used to be a young man, now I'm 62 and he's 54, but he's still involved in wheeling and dealing cards. So I thought, I'll take my cards get him to sell them for me and give him a commission off that. But I showed him the cards and he's looking at them and his eyes are open. He's kind of drooling. Do you really want to sell these? In a year or two, you might be kind of sad that you did. And so then he's messing with me. But then finally said, but yeah, we are getting older and, and we can't take them with us. And then my wife encouraged me by saying, well, if you die before I do and you still have those cards, I'm selling them and I'll enjoy the money. So I have some inspiration to to get rid of those. So we need to remember to be appreciative of everything, to grasp that concept, whether it's something big or something small. During a three-part series that we did in June, we stressed the fact that we don't own anything and that God gives us the privilege of living in his world with his stuff, and now he doesn't guarantee for how long, but he goes a step further, and he says, if you trust me, then when this life is over, I'll give you an even greater estate in heaven. So we think we've got something going on that's pretty good here. It's going to be even better there. And that's an incredible bargain. And we ought to be thankful to him for every day that we get to live in this world. Now we can also become more grateful by visiting with and ministering to those who have less than we do. But one of the reasons we aren't thankful is because we compare ourselves to people that we think have it better than we do. And we increase our sense of appreciation, actually, by being around people who have it tougher than we do. Yes, we still need exposure to those who are going to excel and challenge us, but we also need exposure to people who are struggling because it will deepen our appreciation for what we have in our lives and it will humble us. 
So there's a phrase we use here in Canada, and it's avoid grumbling and complaining like the plague. And the Bible is very clear that grumbling incites God's wrath. The children of Israel, they were incredibly blessed by being freed from slavery in Egypt, and they were given manna, they were given water, and they had that freedom. But still, they complained. They complained about their leaders, they complained about the lack of meat, and they complained about life back in Egypt. They missed it. They longed to be back there. And the Bible says that God grew very angry at them and he struck them with a severe plague. So we quote Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Then you will be innocent and without any wrong. You will be God's children without fault. But you are living with crooked and mean people all around you, among whom you shine like stars in the dark world. So we are to be different. But some of you, and I had to change that to us when my wife looked at me in the first service, but some of us, are, we're specialists at complaining. It's almost as if we have the spiritual gift of complaining, and we're not even aware of it. And we go day after day doing it. And this complaining is actually an offense to God. And it's a poor testimony, and it's a detriment to our personality. Because if you ever heard someone say, let's go hang out with Joe. Joe complains all the time, and we just love to hear him complain. No, you run from Joe, and you find a Susan who is over there who is more positive. So I challenge you today to let Jesus transform your personality. And ask someone close to you to just kind of tap you on the shoulder whenever you start complaining about something and help bring you back. And then we express thanks to God for his generosity. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, And give thanks whatever happens. That is what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we have food and clothing and shelter, we should be content with that. Here are some stats that I got. Google is an amazing thing. You can find out all kinds of things. If you own just one Bible, you are blessed than more than one-third of the population of the world that doesn't have one. And if you can actually read that Bible, then you are more blessed than the 781 million adults who can't read at all. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than the 1.15 million people that will actually die this week. And if you've never experienced the dangers of a war, you're ahead of the 2 billion that presently live under the threat of it or live under violence or are living in a war right now. And if you've never experienced the loneliness of imprisonment, you're ahead of the 10.35 million that are presently in prison. And if you have a roof over your head and uh, food in the fridge and $20 in your wallet, you're richer than 82% of the world who is making less than $20 a day. So instead of complaining, give thanks to God no matter what the circumstances. Give thanks through worship. Give thanks by verbally thanking God. Give thanks by being generous. And those things, they'll transform your personality. 
And the last point I want to make is that we want to live a joyful life. And Paul addresses this in 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich with things of this world not to be proud. Tell them to hope in God, not in their uncertain riches. God richly gives us everything to enjoy. So God enriches us with so much. And he's hopeful that we'll be thankful, that we'll be generous, and that we'll enjoy the goodness that he's given us. And God gives us all this. And if all we do is grumble and complain about the things that are wrong, I'm wondering if he's tempted to say, oh, why bother? I'm just going to take it all back. The Bible says, and know that the peace of God, a peace that is beyond any and all of our human understanding, will stand watch over your hearts and minds in Jesus, the anointed one. So live a joyful life, and your whole personality will just be transformed. I, I shared this story that John Ortberg told in his book, The Life You Always Wanted. And he tells about a friend of his, his name is Tom Schmidt, who visited a certain nursing home twice a week. And something that not many people want to do because they're unpleasant areas in those nursing homes. And Smith said that one day he was going down the hallway of an area that he was in for the first time and there were people in wheelchairs in the hallway and he was giving flowers to the ones that were capable of holding them. And then he noticed one woman who seemed to be the worst of all. He could tell by the look in her eyes that she was blind and she had hearing aids in. And then he said cancer had actually eaten away at a portion of her face. So she was very repulsive to look at. But he went up to her and he put the flower in her hand and he said, Happy Mother's Day. And her response, even though it was garbled, revealed a very keen mind. And she said, Thank you so much. This is very lovely. But if you don't mind, could I give this flower to someone who can see it? And Smith wheeled her down the hallway to a section where people were more alert. And she reached out, giving the flower to someone. And she said, this is from Jesus. Now, Smith knew that this was no ordinary human being. So he'd stop by to visit her twice a week. And he learned that her name was Mabel, that she grew up on a farm. Very good. But her mother died when she was a young adult. And then the single Mabel was helping to look after her dad. And then she became blind. And then came cancer. So she had to go into a home. And her roommate was non-responsive. And her existence was horrible. But uh, Schmidt said, I'd read scripture. And then she'd quote the rest of the verse. And, and I'd... Uh, She'd been there 25 years and was 89 years old. So he asked her, Mabel, what do you think about all day long? And she said, I think about my Jesus. And then he said, what do you think about him? And she said, well, I just think about how good he has been to me. He's all the world to me. And she began to sing, Jesus... I, I didn't sing it for the first service, so I won't sing it for you guys. But Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. When I am, no other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, 
He makes me glad. He's my friend. And Smith said this woman wasn't denying reality. Once you got beyond the physical, she was so attractive because she lived a life of gratitude. Give thanks no matter what the circumstances, for this is God's will for you. By coming to Jesus, this leper received more than healing. He actually received the forgiveness of his sins because the literal translation of verse 19 is, get up and go, your faith has saved you. The other nine, they received spirit, excuse me, physically cleansing by the priest, but this guy was declared saved by the Son of God. And something even more wonderful to receive than the gift of healing is the gift of salvation. And there were times we noticed when Jesus was healing someone, and then he would say, your faith has saved you as well. And we have a young man who has made the decision to accept that offer here today. So I'm going to call Peter Boyer and Austin Husbands, and we have the Robsons involved as well, Emily and Brandon. <laughs> 